What's up, guys and girls? Welcome to Between the Rails. We are doing our very first live podcast. And I got a new co-host. I actually got three new co-hosts, but only one's here today. Say hello to uh, Mr. Q. What's up, Mr. Q? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, man. I think we're off to something good now. Uh, you guys may be wondering why Mr. Q here has this uh, little ninja avatar and not actually showing his face. And that is because, as with all railroad employees and companies, they like to tell us what we can and can't do on social media. Well, this way, Mr. Q, who has dubbed himself a window licker, has, uh, has joined us and now he is a online ninja, quite literally. So, guys, we're going to cover the Q&As, which were finally released late earlier this week. And uh, it was prefaced with this right here. I'm sure you saw this, Q, is this message right here. There's a message from uh, Smart TD saying, Sisters and brothers find attached to agreed upon Q&As for a 2022 tentative national rail contract. The International is currently planning to mail out ballots to all eligible voters on or about Monday, October 31st, with tabulation occurring on or about November 20th. Those dates are subject to slight changes depending on factors that are beyond the organization's control, such as printing, prep time, supply materials, availability, etc. Also note that the to the extent possible, BLET is planning to coordinate their vote and tabulation dates with ours. So, yeah, I saw that as well, and I've actually see, heard some people are already getting their ballots. And there seems to be some confusion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got an email from Smart today before we jump into the Q&A stuff. Um, and I don't know what I did with it. I think there it is. So they, uh, I wonder if I can save this picture and just post it. Because, oh yeah, I can. Let's just do this and I'll post it up here. Smart, we'll call it the Smart Flowchart. Anyways, it kind of tells us where we are at with everything. And I think it's actually pretty handy. They've been mailing this sucker out on a pretty regular basis. Let's see if I can add this here. Tell me if you can see that. So it may be a little hard for you guys to read. I don't know. But it says down here at the bottom, this shows the whole kind of process here. Through the tentative yeah, agreement. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything yet. Is it not up there on uh, on your nope. screen? Are you guys in chat able to see that? Oh, no, you'll have to see it on the other screen there. I forgot because I'm uh, streaming this to o from OBS. Anyways, right here we got... Uh, it says down here at the bottom, membership ratification ballot scheduled be mailed via USPS to all eligible members on Monday, October 31st. Votes must be cast via ballot point telephone voting system, same as prior agreements. Voting is scheduled to end at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, November 20th. Results are scheduled, are scheduled to be announced on Monday, November 21st. 
So that's our timeline that we're looking at uh, tentatively there, guys, uh, as long as everything's getting sent out and everything. I did get a chance to uh, – I got to talk to uh, President Ferguson for a quick second there, Q, and he has said that uh, everything should be going according to plan, but they're not going to mail out the entire 127-page tentative agreement unless – um, people specifically called up or submit a request through the membership portal. However, the tentative agreement with the Q&As is available on the Smart TD website, and I believe it's the same thing on the BLET. So, yeah, that would have been my thing. It's just email, you know, email or mail out a link to it so that everyone can go and look at it at their own leisure because yeah. that's, that's a lot of paper to mail out. Yeah, it is. Well, bless you to my wife. <laughs> she's a little under the weather weather today that's why the that's why the big lights are off and you see this big shadow behind me but uh anyways I you were getting ready for halloween uh that's uh thanks q no i'm not getting ready for halloween my wife was born ready for halloween so anyways we're gonna go ahead and pull up this tentative agreement here here we go or the uh, question and answers. And we are going to kick off with the first section. All right. So we got the wages section right here. Now, guys, there is a epic grip ton of questions and answers in here. And I think a lot of people... We're kind of expecting more from the answers, but you got to remember this is the legal clarification to the tentative agreement. If this would have gone to Congress, we would not get this. So this is legally binding and attached to the tentative agreement asking for clarification. If it had gone to Congress and got forced down our throats, we'd never have this and everything else would be up to the carrier's interpretation. We, this is what we really needed on this tentative agreement over the TA. So, Mr. Q, I'm going to get started here. You feel free to jump in here at any time, buddy. All righty. All right. So, first one, will an individual furloughed or suspended when agreement becomes effective be eligible to receive the retroactive wage, wage payment? Yes. So, that's good to know. Um. A lot of these kinds of questions in here. Individual dismissed status when the agreement becomes effective, be eligible to receive the retroactive wage adjustment. Yes, if they've been reinstated, they would get the, the wage increase or the uh, retroactive wage payment, uh, which is consistent after reinstatement. This is important to know because I know a lot of people were um, fired or quit, and they still think they're getting this. So this is saying they're not, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, they're not going to get that unless they're reinstated. Yeah, they've got to get their job back in order to be able to okay. um, have a chance at the, the retroactive payments. So, um, so this one here is essentially the same thing, but talking about time lost. Yes, they'll get the retroactive wage uh, increase or the payment. 
Um, will it be applied to basic daily and overtime or over mile rates of pay, overtime trip rates, penalty claims, things like that? Yes, to this extent, subject to that application of a general wage increase. So, yes, it would it be applied to that? I think that question was just basically saying, is this basic? basically applied to, I don't know, a basic day kind of deal. It's applied to pretty much everything. It's applied to everything. Yeah. And that I think was the intent of the question was to make sure that it applies across the board. Yeah. All right. Um, And so we'll keep moving on here. By the way, guys, if you guys have a question, go ahead and put it in chat with a queue in front of it or a couple of queues. Now, if for some reason the stream blows up and we got a whole bunch of people chatting, we'll start using the form I have set up on our website. But for right now, if you got a question, just put it in chat and I'll check chat every now and then. And uh, we'll just keep on rolling through here. Uh, let's see here. All right. Just asking if it's going to be included to previous vacation payments, PLD days, and other contractual pay entitlements. Yes. Kind of expected that. Uh, will it be applied to current entry rates? Yes. So entry rates will be uh, going up from uh, where they're entitled to uh, the GWIB applied to it. Now, let's see here. Um will include back payments applied train uh, applied to training payments made to employees in training programs or smart TD holds applicable agreement on properties such as application is not specifically excluded by such agreement yes like I said a lot of legal clarification is I think the point of a lot of these is to eliminate loopholes yep and that way that one right there is just you know if you were you know in conductor training you know student pay for that for rco or in the engine program that yes those uh the wage increases will apply there as well yeah all right let's move on down all right pretty much same question as above but include uh you know if uh for yard master uh, trainman work. Uh, a lot of these have the same thing. It's a yes. Um, maintains employment relationship with a carrier, but who has been promoted to a position in another craft or under a collective bargaining agreement with another organization that is party to this agreement. Will they get the uh, retroactive pay under both CBAs? So it seems like, I don't know, maybe, uh, this is kind of like, like you, going from uh, railroad to railroad to maintenance away. Well, I think it's more if you change from maintenance of way to TY and E or signalman or whatever, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. will that time be covered, you know, that you spent under uh, the, the length of the agreement here, the dates, you know, yeah. will you still get that? And then what they're saying is, yeah. So, you know, say you went from TYE to, to signals away, yeah, maintenance away, or signals, like you'd get the TYE portion that you were part of TYE and then you'd get the maintenance away or signals uh, increases there. Yeah. Which don't think I've seen a difference yet on those, but 
And yeah. what they're just saying is, yeah, you just you don't get duplications on it. So yeah, as long as you're still under the that same CBA. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then this one, number eleven, t- well. Tier one, tier two taxes, as well as federal, state, and local taxes be applied to retroactive pay received by employees? Answer is to yes, which that makes sense. I mean, it's not going to be tax-free. It's essentially wages, so they're going to have to tax them as wages, which is one thing I want to know because I didn't know if we were going to get paid as a bonus or wages. So will the GWIs provide for in this agreement be applied to guaranteed extra board and furlough retention board rates of pay? Yes. That is the short answer. Um, will employees on a, oh man, I should have highlighted that one. I don't know why I didn't. So let's just go highlight that everybody. Will employees on approved leaves of absence, medical disability, and otherwise be eligible to receive retroactive back pay provided in this agreement? Yes. As long as they maintain relationship with the carrier or subsequently subsequently retires or dies. Well, let's aim for retirement and not death. Right. So a bunch of my highlights disappeared. <laughs> That's sad. I spent a lot of time highlighting a bunch of these suckers. So if it's... uh if they opt in a 401k plan, will deductions be uh, taken from retroactive payments? Uh, so that's going to have to be handled by the the carriers. Um, I'm yes, gonna... here's where the ambiguity starts. And unfortunately, it's a necessary ambiguity because every carrier handles their stuff differently. Yeah. Yeah, and 401k plans and handling of those can get complicated real quick. So, yeah. So we're going to move on down here. Um, and let's see here. Let's, we'll kind of cover this one. This is kind of a long answer. We'll... Uh, Retroactive payments be accompanied by a detailed payment description, including a breakdown of how the payment was calculated. I think this could have been. Uh, FYI, that's cutting off a little bit. The only part of that I can read is the line that has the breakdown of how the payment was calculated. Ooh, okay. Well, then I was up too much. Let's see how that looks. There we go. Okay, well, retroactive payments be accompanied by detailed payment description, including a breakdown of how the payment was calculated. Uh, so if you believe your uh, paid compu- uh, computation is incorrect, you can make a request to GCs for information regarding that. If the general chairperson concludes that the request has a good cause, they will submit to the carrier, and a carrier representative will respond the carrier must be the request must be made to the carrier within 30 days of receipt of the retroactive payment disagreements between the parties may be referred to their respective national bargaining representatives the president of smart td or president of blet and the chairman of the nccc okay so the big point there is if you think there's a a, a discrepancy there key takeaway there is you need to make sure that is your request for that is made to your GC within 30 days of getting that retroactive payment. That is 
good to know. Sit on that and wait till the last minute. And yeah. And all of a sudden you get called to go somewhere for work. You're like, oh, I never got that submitted. Well, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and get her done. So let's see here. Uh, the back pay calculated on earnings minus automobile. Uh, it's the back pay calculated on earnings minus auto, auto mileage and meals. What factors will be included in the calculation? Uh, wage increases and the resulting back pay will be calculated and applied to all elements of pay that are subject to general wage increases as provided in Article 1 and will be addressed in the same manner as in, as in the past on each individual carrier. So that's up, up to each carrier on that one. Let's see. Oh, here's a question that's been asked quite a bit. Will the back pay be paid on a separate check or included on with a regular payroll check? Uh, carriers will make retroactive payments and service recognition bonus payments by way of separate payroll check. Other carriers will do the same one to the extent feasible. Here's a big one right here. I want to make sure everybody can see this. I'll double check this. Question 19. Will an employee who resigned voluntarily receive back pay? Employees who resign prior to ratification of the national agreement will not receive back pay. Employees who resign after ratification of the national agreement will receive back pay. Please note that employees who retired or died subsequent to June 30, 2020, in the case of wage increases in January 1st, 2020, in the case of service recognition payments, will receive back pay. That's a good thing. Make sure yep. our, our loved ones of our brothers and sisters that have lost their lives doing this job, their families will still get that money. And considering the economy, I'm pretty sure that's going to yeah. help a lot of them. So let's see here. Okay, this one right here um, will back pay payment calculations include employees' pay rates for vacation in 2023. Um, only made in relation to earnings in 2022 will be included in calculating 2023 vacation pay rates. Now, this one right here, I wanted to ask you, do you know what the Washington job protection claims are? I've never heard of that. No idea. Is anybody that may be watching this stream heard of that? Just uh, throw that up there. And Matthew, I agree with you. He says, good, bad, or ugly. I'm ready for it to be done. Hopefully good, of course. I think that pretty much covers everybody's sentiments right now. Not even going to well, lie. Well, and, and that's... Yeah, and I've run into that too, and it's both a good thing and a bad thing. I completely understand that people are just ready for this to be over. Oh, yeah. The last thing we want to do is roll over and just take whatever. Oh, yeah. So we're going to juggle that. Yeah, it really is. So I will open this up to questions real quick. We uh, Before we move on to the next section, we don't really have a whole lot of uh, – we have a little bit of lag between what we're talking and then seeing y'all's uh, stuff there in chat. So if you have any questions, um, go ahead and feel free to post them up in here. And uh, there we go. Steve's, D, Steve Lason says, Washington Job Protection Act is what 
is used if the carrier eliminates a home terminal to change op operations. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that, Steve. Always learning something new as I go through more of these documents and these kinds of things. There's always something to learn. All right, guys. So if there's no questions, we are going to move on to the next section. service recognition bonus this is a lot of the similar kind of questions as uh, what we saw up there so this one's not going to take all that long there were a few here um, because like I said it's, they're, they're almost identical up there like a lot of loophole elimination so let's see here can you still see that yep we're still good to go when individual furloughed or suspended when the agreement becomes effective or uh, be, becomes effective, be eligible to receive the service recognition yes, bonus? Yes, if they perform active service at any time between January 1st and November 30th of the applicable calendar year. Yep, so that means you got one start anywhere in there, you will get that $1,000 for that given year. Yep, so just needs one start, guys. I think... You, I have faith you guys can pull that off. Um, and if you can't, I feel for whoever that is because that probably means you're most likely on medical or your military. And uh, you guys have got bigger things going on than the railroad. So, question two Will an individual be in dismissed status when the agreement becomes effective, be eligible to receive the service recognition bonus? Yes, if the individual is reinstated to service, the individual will be eligible for retroactive service recognition payments to the extent applicable and consistent with reinstatement. So everything hangs around as if you're not reinstated, you don't get the moolah. So let's see here. Um, here's a good one to... New hire employees qualify for service recognition bonuses. Yes, provided that the employee performed perform service at any time between January 1st and November 30th. So, guys, this applies to you guys. If you feel uh, sorry for anyone who starts December 1st or later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I love how December. I don't know why they just left out a month on there. That makes no sense to me, especially when that particular know. month is like, the most important month for the transcon. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I don't, no I, I don't know why, but yeah, let's see. Oh, this is a good one to ask. So right here, like I said, this is a short section. If an employee who has worked subsequent to June 30th, 2020 under another national agreement, and as a trainman, engineer, or yardmaster, under this agreement, is that employee entitled to receive service recognition bonuses under this agreement for his, his slash her trainman or yardmaster work? Yes, as long as there's no duplication. Yep, can't double that. Go figure. Yeah, no kidding. I think everybody'd be like, "Hey, I want ten instead of five. I mean, who's not going to want an extra five thousand dollars? All right. <laughs> Well, the uh, I know my wife would like an extra five thousand dollars. 
She's over here giving me the grin like, duh, do you even got to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So will the 1,000 yearly service recognition bonus continue after the end of this contract while a new agreement is negotiated? That's a negative, Ghost Rider. It will be paid no later than December 31st, 2024. So. Yeah, I wish, I wish I could say that was shocking, but. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's insanely shocking. Insanely shocking. Well, let's see here. We got a few questions here. Comments. Sebastian. Howdy from the UK is a network tra- rail track. Man, I fully support you guys and the silly nonsense the railroads have to put up with. Moving to a guard conductor next month. I like how you guys call uh, the conductor guard. What do you guys call the engineers? I'm really curious about that. So now the next section, if you guys don't have any questions, we're going to roll on to it. This one has some really, really good information. And we're going to blast right on into it. So here we go, guys. All right, so here we go. Health and welfare. This actually has a grip load of good information, and it is quite a bit longer. So here we go. You ready for this one, Mr. Q? Yep. This one does have some good stuff in it. It really does, and I think this is, I know a lot of people are saying, well, the TA's crap, TA's crap. I'm sorry, but especially after the Q&A, and looking at the different breakdowns and whatnot, this has got some really good positive health and welfare stuff in here. It's, it, it's got a good start to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's is it everything we deserve plus some and a cherry on top? No. But is it anything to blow off? No, not at all. So here's one thing I think is real big right here because I know there's a lot of people with either disabilities, um, special needs children or family members, things like that. Um, So I know this one right here is a big one. The question one is, is the annual hearing benefit of $2,000 per family member or per family? The answer to that is annual hearing benefit maximum will apply separately to each individual covered by the policy. That's a big damn deal right there. $2,000 for hearing coverage. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal because one set for that coverage for hearing aids and some of these other, other devices, especially the higher end ones that require a lot more care or procedures, that can do a lot for that family member, especially if they have multiple people in their family that require hearing coverage. Yeah. And, you know, I've never priced it out, but you know, I got tubes put in my ears when I was little and I'm guessing that was not a cheap, uh, not, not a cheap little, I don't know if you call it a surgery or, yeah. And that's not even counting, you know, hearing aids or anything for like us, but you know, for that, for that being able to, work for each member that's on the policy all your kids your you know your spouse that's huge well i just looked it up here on google and i typed in how much are hearing aids for uh, children and cost of children's hearing age and this is by care credit 
Uh, aids vary widely based on the device and level of technology, but generally speaking, they range in cost from a thousand to six thousand dollars a pair. Ooh. So even if it's a six thousand dollar pair, that's 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 a third of the cost right off. If that's what that hearing that hearing uh, amount was used for. So that's a big yeah, damn deal. It's still painful, but it's, it's better. It's than painful. If it wasn't two thousand dollars, what was it before this? I don't even remember. Say what? What was the hearing benefit before this? I think it was six hundred or eight hundred. I can look that so, up real yeah. quick. Let me uh, bring it out. It doesn't the, cover every. It, it might not cover everything, but it's yeah, it might, might not cover everything. Yeah, but it's still far leaps and bounds better. Let me see here. Let me check the uh, PB here. Um, let's see next. I'm checking the PB document. Okay. Uh, here it is. The, uh, increase the annual benefit limit from 600 to 2000 when using an improved provider with a maximum of one hearing aid per hearing impaired ear every three years. So that's what the uh, annual benefit limit from 600 to 2000. So that's what okay, it was. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a nice thing. Yeah, that's directly from uh, PB reporting recommendations, um, page 53 of 119 is where they're talking about that. There we go. Actually, I think I just threw that up there on not even thinking about it. But yeah, it was right there. 600, 1200. So that's, that's a, that's a damn good thing. So let's see here. Um, we'll move on to the next one. If a service provider is rebid in accordance with article three, section three, and a new provider is chosen, how will it, will it affect the employee's benefit levels? This is one of the questions I wanted to answer on with the rebidding, uh, win. It says uh, rebidding a service provider cannot result in modification of plan features such as fixed dollar co-payments, deductibles, co-insurance, and out-of-pocket maximums. Okay, that is good. I think I had a question in here. Let me double check real quick. Uh, the only thing I have concerning that is, you know, will say they rebid and they find a cheaper option and our 15% goes down, I guess they're saying that those copayments will stay the same and then our just our monthly uh, contribution will be less. Everything else will stay the same on that. Yes. It's like, well, if everything goes down, shouldn't our copays and everything go down as well? Well, according to this, I guess not. But yeah, and that's that's the monthly kind of, contribution mm -hmm. will go down. Yeah, the monthly contribution because we're out of the bulk some of our premiums we're entitled to pay 15% of that. Yep. You know, and so if that premium comes down, we can't end up with less benefits and whatnot. Yeah, so that's that's the important gist mm -hmm. of what they were asking with that question is, you know, if our contribution goes down, will our services get cut? And that answer is no. And that's a very important answer I had to have on there. Yeah. So let's see here. We're going to keep on moving. And and that is a good one. That's that's a good answer. That's a pretty important one. And I hope people don't downplay that one. 
So if a service provider is rebated in accordance with Article 3, Section 3, and a decision is made to switch service providers, what will be the extent of disruption and what considerations will be given to minimizing disruptions? As noted in question and answer number two, the one we just went over, uh, rebating a service provider cannot result in modification of plan design elements such as co-pages, deductibles, co-insurance, and out-of-pocket maximums. The joint committees are expected to take steps to minimize provider disruption in the case of rebids involving claims administrators or formulary disruption in, in the case of pharmacy benefit managers. Okay. All right. So basically just kind of more clarification on just more in-depth clarification on question two up there unless i'm missing something q no and the other important thing to realize there is the is the whole joint committee thing so both the both the carriers of the nc triple mm-hmm. c or whatever and then you know our unions still have to come to an agreement on that the carrier just can't say hey we're going with this and you know to heck with what you guys think yeah Yep. Okay, good deal. So, sorry, I have my phone ringing there. And, of course, nobody ever wants to return phone calls whenever I'm not doing other work. So, let's see here. Uh, Question four, under Article 3, will employees be required to make monthly cost-sharing contributions for dental and or vision premiums? And the question, the answer to that is employees do not make separate contributions for access to dental and vision benefits. No, so, it's all rolled into that 15%. Yeah, and this is what we were asking about earlier. Hang on. So right here, question five. How will monthly employee cost-sharing contributions be calculated? We just hit this, we just hit this topic just to, minute ago but for people that have been asking or didn't catch that part the cost sharing contributions will be 15 percent of the sum of the premiums for employee medical benefits life insurance and accidental death and dismemberment benefits dental benefits and vision benefits this does not include carrier costs for at occupation slash on duty coverage and or certain other administrative cost so again that that's kind of what we were talking about just a minute ago. That that uh, just says how that how they come up with that number on what what we're paying. Yeah, essentially, it's just going to be the same as it is now. Is you know you'll get that monthly sum taken out of one of your halves, and that'll be about the end of it. Yeah. So here on the next part, um, good question. How often do parties intend to rebid service providers? Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't understand or have a whole lot of information on governing committee, joint policy holder committee at the plans. Guys, I hate insurance crap. I hate trying to read insurance stuff. I spent 15 years on an ambulance. And I still I, I hated insurance then and I hate it now. I hate trying to break down all this crap. But I guess they're going to develop a process for when and how to conduct rebids. Uh, and based on the outcome of those discussions, uh, you know, they're going to choose how they initiate a rebid process for service providers and coincide with the renewal of the service providers agreements. Uh, 
Do you have a better understanding of this crap, Q? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody really does. You understand any of that, Taylor? Okay, she wasn't even paying attention. Uh, it's all good. So, will the details of rebidding service providers be made public to employees? Details of the process are generally not made public, and if the parties agree to change service providers, proper notification would be sent out to all infected, infected, affected employees notifying them in advance of any such changes. We've had enough infections. Let's just try to get away from those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. So this is a big one that a lot of people have been talking about. The routine and preventative care regarding side letter three. Before we move on, we'll see if we got any comments. I don't see any comments. So we're going to hit the next little button here on into side letter three. Yeah, I'm trying up some different uh, logo music there. It's kind of dramatic, ain't it? <laughs> so, no, it was. Uh... So, let's see here. We're going to roll on down here. Side letter three. A lot of information here. So, if. An employee schedules an appointment 30 or more days in advance and their provider reschedules the appointment at an earlier date. Will they be allowed to attend the visit without being subject to any form of discipline under carriers or attendance related policies? Uh, accommodations may be made between the carrier and the employee or their union representative representative guys get ready for these kinds of answers. I would have really rather had that may be a must. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, let's face it, they don't always like to uh, abide by their agreements. No, they don't. But in this right here, actually, I'm going to wait until I go off on this little side tangent because I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> because, well, no, because I brought it up to national. Because, like I said, I spent 15 years on ambulance working in medicine. And I'm going to bring up a point, which I've already passed on to them, to where, you know, I have a concern about this. And it's actually the legality. Um, some of the things they're trying to throw in here. So we're going to go on a question, too. I'll come back to that here in a minute because it kind of bounces off some of these topics. What is the definition of routine preventive medical care? Uh, in, I'm going to give the short answer here because we got some long answers. That just gets a little crazy. Uh, services defined that are not urgent or emergent in nature. I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, so, you know, as we we're talking right here, I don't know why I just did that. I have no idea what my stupid thing is Awkward. doing. <laughs> Yeah, like, just, just let me highlight this stupid thing. There we go. A routine preventative dental, a routine and preventative dental vision and hearing appointments considered routine and preventative medical care as described in side layer three. I would say that prefacing these, 
with routine and preventative are considered routine and preventative. Like, I don't really know why this question made it in there. You just said they're routine and preventative de dental vision and hearing. Those are still medical services. I'm, I'm guessing it's a loophole deal. Yeah, probably. So question four, if a carrier requires documentation, verifying that an exam took place, what documentation would be required? I'm guessing because I went through medical with um, BNSF for my gastric sleeve. I did have to submit documentation for being on medical leave. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm suspecting medical department will do the same thing in which some, yeah, some of the, probably... yeah. And it says, you know, the details regarding documentation requested by a carrier will be developed in the on-property implementation discussions required by site layer three. Some of my appointments required documentation to BNSF medical. And some of them were literally just a page that the doctor filled out or the, the nurse or nurse prac put their signature on and said, you know, cardiac stress test, put their signature on it. And, you know, the doctor's office just sent it over to medical to my nurse. It was a done deal. Like it was honestly, this whole process right here, it's what they already do at the medical department for, for BN is pretty yep. painless. I was really impressed with the processes I had to go through with all the paperwork and how they worked with my doctor's office and these, and these other doctor's offices I had to deal with for my surgery pre and post-op. So um, I'm not really too worried about the documentation thing because it went really, really smoothly. Now I feel for those girls down there now because they're going to be having a lot more work. So, well, yeah, and it's, I, I think a lot for a lot of people, it's just, uh, you know, I need to have a doctor's note that says that I went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Are we adults or are we, you know, children? Well, I'm sure it'd be like, you know, just a follow up deal. You know, was this emergent? You know, do they need a follow up? You know, something like that, just a doctor's signature on it, you know, verification. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like my wife's job. If she calls in and doesn't find coverage, you know, she's got to bring a doctor's note. You know, she basically did her own version of a layoff sick. You know, and it, it's basically a, yeah, she came to the doctor. She's clear for duty after two days of rest or whatever, you know. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of a standard deal. I, I know some people are throwing a fit about that. And mm. according, and guys, let me just clear this up. A doctor's note, requesting a doctor's note for your employer is not a HIPAA violation. Just so you got, and let me just clear that up. That's not a HIPAA violation. Now, if they said they needed your entire family medical records and your medical records and all this other stuff, you know, because you had the flu, now you're getting to different territory. But just getting a damn doctor's note and sending it in or turning it into a supervisor is kind of standard, and it's not a HIPAA violation. It's just your privacy wasn't violated by a doctor's note. I saw that one popping up on social media a couple of days ago, which was kind of humorous. So let's go on to question five. This is a good one. If an employee cancels an unpaid scheduled day off, 
uh, contemplated inside letter three, will it be deducted from the employee's remaining number of allowed routine and preventative visits? No, as long as the employee protects their assignment. So if you cancel yeah, it, no, uh, and you mark no, no taking the three days off or whatever, or two days off yeah. and coming back and saying, Oh, by the way, I didn't actually have an appointment. So can I still have my three violations or not violations? My three occurrences, of course they're going to say no. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I honestly think that's going to be one of those things like maybe the day of or something like that. Somebody's like, you know what? I just don't really feel like, going to the doctor i don't need to go to the doctor you cancel your appointment and you go ahead and you know you mark back up but i'm also kind of reading between the lines here that it may seem like they could still take those days or days but it would be counted against their uh their visits since it's already been pre-approved like a pre-approved non-compensated layoff Mm-hmm. So well, you can you, you can know, still the take the is, days, but it, you're going to lose one of your your medical occurrences. Yeah, like if you have to lay off two days early, you know, you mm-hmm. lay off two days early, then a day before your doc calls and says, "Hey, I have to schedule this appointment, or I have to cancel it." Then you're going to be up the creek because well, yeah. you already took a day off for it. Yeah. So that's going to need to be worked on. But, you know, what are the chances that they'll actually work on it? It's something that needs to be brought up. Yeah. Well, that's where we're getting into different between the rails kind of searching. Yeah. So. And I think the only chance you're going to have of getting something like that, you know, even looked at is you're going to have to have documentation, you know, from your doc saying, Hey, I took these days off. And the day before they call and cancel it, you know, yeah. Should you lose your occurrence for that? Well, they, they cover, I believe they cover if the doctor's office cancels it here further down. Okay. Um, so I think we're going to cover that one down here. I think, let me see here. Main employee use unpaid scheduled days off contemplated side layer three for family members who require assistance, attending routine preventive visits. Um, unless it's agreed to by the carrier. I know that the people I talked to on the national level said that they argued for that, but they basically lost it because, uh, the carriers claim that that's what FMLA is for. So they lost that fight on that one. Let's see here. So you need FMLA just to be a parent of a child? Yeah, that's kind of their stance, man. And they've been on the FMLA stance for a while. Yeah. You know, I knew a guy up north. He had FMLA to take care of his wife that had brain tumor or cancer or something like that. And she was in rough shape. Well, you know. Yeah, that that I understand, but just to be able to take your children to a routine. That's pretty much what it's coming down to, man, is that's how they're using FMLA to get away from providing sick days. You know, I know a guy that, you know, he had FMLA for him. He had PTSD, Uh you know, and then his grandmother, no, it was... uh, his one of his child kids got real sick and he was like, well, 
you know, I, I take care of me and my kid. Well, he ran out FMLA days real quick, and the carrier basically said, well, tough luck. You know, this was for another another class one up north. Oh, <clears throat> uh, uh, yeah, a uh, blue one. I'll leave it at that because we know there's a lot of blue trains out there, right? So let's see here. Um, so, yeah, can't use it for family. Uh, that's pretty much what they want you to use FMLA for. Let's see here. Question A, healthcare provider only offers routine, certain routine and preventive services on Monday or Friday. Will the employee be allowed unpaid scheduled day off to attend if they provide documentation starting staying such services are only available on those days of the week. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump over here for a second to question nine. Um, as well with respect to medical and necessity for attending routine preventive visits, uh, preparation and or recovery. Will those days also be allowed? And will the cumulative period of absences be counted as one of three? So in question eight here, what I was talking about earlier about, you know, because they said you have to schedule it between a Monday and a Thursday. Yep. Okay. And then it says in their side letter, three requires that visits occur Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. I have questions about the legality of that because I don't care what their reason is. If a doctor tells me the soonest I can get you in is 30 days from now on a Monday, oh, I can't do that because it's not a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. That's actually restricting people's medical, you know, access to medical care. And I'm, I have a, a email and a phone call into one of my former directors that knows legal law like nobody else's business. You have to in EMS and first response. Mm -hmm. I don't, and I, I pass this on to the unions. They said they're going to look into it. I don't think it's legal that they can require what days we can go. Yeah, because it's not norm, through normal business hours, like Monday through Friday. Yeah. You know, I don't expect, you know, a cardiologist to be open on, on Christmas Day or Thanksgiving Day on a Thursday. You know, I mean, with, within reason. I don't think they can legally do that. Um, but I'm, I'm waiting for answers on that because the people I've talked to, nobody really, I've got a lot of, huh, you know, we need to look into that kind of deal. I don't think they can do that. But that's just me. And as yeah, soon as I get more information, on yeah. And because this, this came as a carrier condition, mm -hmm. you know, because if, Let's say, you know, let's just say I have high blood pressure. I need to get in to see my cardiologist and it falls on that Monday. I should just be able to make that appointment for routine, routine yeah. preventive medical care because it falls on a, a standard normal business day on Monday through Friday. Yeah. Sorry. They don't have any appointments available Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but I've got a Monday or a Friday. Yeah. And so, I mean, and it says that those accommodations would have to be made between the carrier and the employee. I can see the carriers doing this real quick. Well, sorry, it has to be on a Tuesday or Thursday, but between Tuesday or Thursday and just shutting you down. Yep. 
That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, that whole that whole may that letter that word may instead of must. Yeah. You know, that's just way too much wiggle room for the carriers. They, yeah, we we may do it. No, no, you're not gonna. And then magically every single person who has an issue never gets it approved. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm saying. It's I have big questions on the legality of if the carriers can even do this, even though it's a national contract, national contract doesn't supersede federal, you know, law yep. period. It's a legally binding contract between multiple entities. It's not law. It doesn't supersede state, federal, or local law at any point. It can't. And that's where I feel like this might be, borderlining on like this is a big deal that I, I hope these guys look into and like i said i've already sent it up to national and some other people i'm i'm getting information on this because i don't think they can do it so <clears throat> i'll get off that horse for a little bit let's go on um so this is a big one uh, question nine uh attending routine um, preventive visits uh so it's going to need to be implemented on property, but, um, you know, the preparation and or recovery, will those days be allowed? My impression that I've got for people is that yes, as long as the entire process is consecutive days. Um, they do talk about that further yeah. down. Yeah, yeah they, they do. Which question it was. Yeah, it's, it's further on down here, but, you know, basically what this comes down to, and then they get clarification on, it seems like, more defined instances. But if you got to lay off, you know, like me, I'm on an extra board. So I got to lay off two days ahead of time, and then I have my appointment, and then maybe I have to do lab work and then do a follow-up appointment and then maybe they shoved two, but my butt and doc said, I need you to take a day off before I uh, going back to work. Since you don't, you guys don't have light duty that entire start from a, B, C and D yep. would be covered as long as, as, as one absence, bless you as one absence versus two or three, as long as they're all consecutive. And we know that the carriers will try to fight that. Well, I don't think they can really because, again, you know, as as a national contract doesn't supersede, you know, state, federal, local law, nor does, you know, can they override a doctor's orders? A doctor's orders are damn near legally binding. Yeah. So if a doctor says I have to do this, this, and this, they can't restrict my access to medical care. They can't punish me for receiving medical care. And then they can't order me based on their company policies or contract to go against a doctor's orders. They can't yep. do it. I know that for a fact to be legal as shit. And, you know, um, so, uh, you know, I think, I think MV's right here. He says, is it just me or do some of these border on HIPAA and patient privacy? They get pretty close on some of these MV. They, they really do. 
All right, we're going to keep going on because this is a long section here. and We're almost to the halfway point of this document, which the, la the bottom half of this document is going to fly because it's, it's the same response, which is to be expected. So uh, with respect to ensuring employees are available to attend their scheduled routine and preventative visits, will employees be allowed to lay off in advance? And if so, what is the allowed duration of the advanced layoff? Yes, this is what we were just talking about. That occurrence includes, you know, appropriate layoff to make sure you reach your appointment, but it's going to be handled individually between carrier employee and their union. I foresee a lot of December 26th doctor's appointments. <laughs> could happen. It's on a Tuesday. It could happen, but, you know, this thing's not Tuesday, good. Wednesday or Thursday. I really, really doubt we're going to have a resolution by then. I mean, no, I'm just that's saying, yeah, I'm talking further down the road, like next year or whatever. Yeah, it could definitely kick off. Let's see here. Will employees be allowed to lay off outside Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday if they are required to do so? If, uh, you know, for a Tuesday visit, yes, with appropriate medical documentation. Probably they're going to need you to. Send a document that is signed, you know, basically a form. Hey, email this form to your doctor's appointment confirming your visit and have them fax it to the number at the top. Um, I, I foresee it being something like that. A lot of clerical work and extra paperwork. So a good one yeah, here. The only issue I yeah. have with this whole thing is that, you know, you can just call up EAP get put yeah. on medical leave for 10 days and explain it to them so i mean it's kind of something we already have now other other employees might not have something like that but mm -hmm. it's stuff we can already do yeah yeah so let's see here did we already do the holiday one i am running on tons um, of caffeine yeah, we did because that was where I made the comment of you know a lot okay. of December twenty six appointments. Yep, uh, that's true. Here we go. Will approved absences to attend routine preventative visits be used to reduce the available FMLA hours earned slash granted for the year? Thank God for whoever wrote this question. Somebody buy this guy a beer or a coffee. The answer yep. is no. Approved absences under side letter number three do not impact the number of hours available to FMLA eligible employees. I love this one. I would almost vote yes for this question alone because get this. When I had my surgery done, right? I was like a week post-op. I get a letter from the carrier from the FMLA department, guru, ninjas, whatever you want to call them. And this letter said that this, this letter is here to notify you that you have exhausted all your eligible FMLA days under such and such agreement per federal law. Never in my adult life have I ever applied for FMLA ever and I got a letter while I still had a, mat, a shit ton of staples and everything in my gut telling me I was not eligible for FMLA at all for the year 2022 how the hell did that happen yeah that's 
they did the same thing to me back in 19 when I was out for 10 days. They automatically threw me on FMLA and I got hours deducted. I never applied for FMLA. I didn't either. Not once. I have never applied for FMLA. I don't have a medical condition. I put myself on voluntary medical leave of absence, unpaid, uncompensated, to go have a surgery that was going to dramatically benefit my health and wellness. Yep. That's it. And I got nailed with that. So how'd that happen? So I am glad this is in writing because I could see them coming back and sending similar letters to people. I don't know how they got away with it. I don't know how that works, but God dang, I hope I don't need FMLA for the rest of the year because apparently I don't, I don't have access to it. Yeah. So that would be something. have you asked your LCs or anything about that and say, how did this happen? Some folks are, uh, some folks are looking into it. Good. Some folks are looking into it because when I tell them about it, um, their, their heads they're are awfully, just spun. They're awfully quick to deny people FMLA for this, that, or the other thing. But then all of a sudden, magically you're getting it used against you when you didn't even apply for it. Yeah. I, I, well, you know me, I don't do conspiracy theory, man. I mean, that's, that's literally what happened. I mean, I'm not saying somebody's a bad guy or somebody's been bought out or somebody's out to get me, but the letter happened somehow. And I'm just like the hell. So anyways, let's move on here. We got uh, a very good point. They have no issues violating FMLA or ADA. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Don't it's, use that eye. Yeah. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Some of these things that go on, man, it just blows my mind. So, this is a good one. If an employee must lay off to attend a follow up routine or preventative visit directly resulting from a previous previously allowed routine or preventive visit, will that absence be considered part of the original visit or will it uh, count against the remaining number of allowed visits? This is what we were talking about, excuse me, earlier, if it falls consecutively or if there's a time period in between the two. Don't let there be a gap. Yeah, so if it's immediately follows the dates of the approved absence, uh, the accommodations may be made between the carrier employee or the union representative to extend their original visit to include additional absence. Otherwise, a follow-up visit will be considered as a separate visit. That's fair. I mean, I don't think it's fair to be like, hey, in January, I'm going to have this procedure and thing done. Like my gastric sleeve, I had it done April 5th. Mm-hmm. Well, that counts let's say, you know, my, I'm back to work six months later, I go do a follow-up and do my cardiac test and body scan, all that. And then six months later, that gets applied to the same original first one that takes, let's say, six days for me to do the whole thing. That's not really, to me, that's not really fair, you know, but if maybe there's a day or two difference between that, like there might've been a day or two gap Combining those two, I think, is fair. Yeah, apparently they don't see it that way. 
Well, I, I could see a day or two gap kind of being like, hey, you know, the CT guys or the lab guys can't get me in here to do this blood gas or something like that. There's a day gap here. Okay, yeah. But, you know, a 30 or 60 day, six month follow up, you know, that kind of gap is a little excessive. Let's see here. If an employee's held at his or her away from home terminal for an, an for an unanticipated and or inordinate date amount of time that may inhibit them from attending a scheduled or or a scheduled and approved preventative or routine visit, will a carrier deadhead the employee home to facilitate the visit? Oh yeah, that's kind of a generic yeah, answer. Right. Accommodations may be made between the carrier and the employee or their union representative. I hope that answer gets argued like crazy when these things come down. Let's see here. Um, again, question 16. Um, we're we're going to start getting a lot of generic answers here, guys, so read between the rails on that. Will consideration be given to allowing employees fewer than 30 days advance notice for scheduling routine and preventative visits? Again, accommodations may be made. Yeah, accommodations may be made. Okay, we can go with that. Now, I will say, I will say, if we are getting to deal with the medical department directly for all this and not like crew caller or crew management, I would like to say that we're we're going to do better in oh, that absolutely. area because, like I said, I have my dealings for those six months or whatever that I was out on medical leave dealing with um, my nurses in the medical department was insanely positive dealing with those guys. Yeah, EAP in the medical department doesn't give a lick about high impact days or anything. Yeah, like, like they're they're actually only interested in dude our health. My my nurses would call and be like, "Hey, how are you feeling about the surgery? You know, is there anything we can do for you? We have this paperwork. I'm going to send it over. I've already marked it off and." You know, a couple of times after they got my doctor's office uh, fax number, they were just calling me, hey, just let you know, we sent some paperwork over to extend the leave here and do this, this, and this, and to keep you in good standing. And, like, those guys and gals over there at medical, BNSF Medical, were insanely awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I can't say enough about those guys and girls over there, man. They, uh... They they made that whole process as, as stress free and positive as as anything I could ever think of. Like they were they were just awesome. So refreshing, isn't it? It it really it really was because dude, I was stressing out about that surgery. I mean, they're gonna stick a bunch of tubes in me, start cutting my gut up, you know, fillet my my stomach, and you know, right? I'm uh. Believe it or not, I'm kind of afraid of needles. Uh, yeah, which there's a story behind that one, which we, we won't go into. But 
me and needles don't get along. I don't like needles, even though I spent 15 years poking people with needles. I don't like them in me. Uh, so those, uh, those guys and gals were, they were just badasses. period. Let's see here. Here's a good one. If an employee is transported to a medical facility via emergency transportation services, will that be considered a hospital admission, not resulting in any form of disciplinary points to merits or disciplinary citations, and it carries attendance-related policies? Okay, this one to me is kind of self-explanatory. If the employee is admitted to the hospital, then it will not result in any form of disciplinary points. Um, the only uh, reason I can figure out that's in there is people have been disciplined after, you know, going to the emergency room and they're like, oh, well, you know, you, you didn't show up for work. Here's your, here's your no show. Well, I think, um, I don't know. There's going to be, again, some legalities in it because, there have been several times in my career, and I'm sure my wife can name off tons, like we had run on a car wreck. Somebody has a mild concussion, but they, they're not cognitively well enough to refuse transportation at the time. So we transport them to the hospital, and they hold them at the ER for 12, 12 hours observation. Then they cut them loose as they come back around and say, hey, you know, take a week off work. I would have a hard time feeling like the carriers could legally reprimand someone for a situation like that. Now, I could see it if somebody, which we have this happen all the time, people call the ambulance, my nose is running, I got a headache, take a you know ambulance ride to the ER straight to the waiting room to triage. You know, well, come on now, that's not, that's not emergent. You see what oh, I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, I, I understand that completely. So, I mean, there's there's some of these things here where I'm kind of wondering how close they're tipping, tippy-toeing around the lines of legality here. Uh, just from my years of service in the medical field. So, I mean, I think this is going to be one of those case-by-case -case bases, and I think the medical department, who's obviously going to be handling a lot of these things, is going to be the patient advocates slash employee advocates regarding these, especially like this one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I don't, you know, I'm not trying to call anybody out here, but no, no offense to the train masters or terminal superintendents or anybody else like that. Unless you've spent time in the medical world, you don't you don't really know the the rules, you know the federal and state rules regarding patient privacy practices and rights, and how that can and cannot be applied in the workplace. In a lot of cases, these guys these guys and gals over at medical do they understand that? So there's definitely. Definitely a line to be walked with these kinds of things here. Let's see here. Going down to question 18 regarding the issue of absences relating to surgeries not resulting in any form of disciplinary points to merits or citations under the carrier's attendance policies. Does this include non-emergency and or outpatient patient surgeries? Yes. Okay, so surgery, surgery, you're not going to catch a 
some uh you're not gonna catch a spanking from the carrier. You read that the same way? Yeah. At least we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, and this is I don't blame people for being gun shy here. I'm a little gun shy about nope, it. Not one bit. So you know, if these railroads handle this with kid gloves and actually toe the line with this, I think this could be a very positive thing for people's health and wellness. You know, but if it's handled poorly, the railroad that does so, um, I think is going to find themselves kind of tangled up in a shit show. Let's see here. Question 19. This is the big dog question right here. What is the definition yes. of the term unassigned noted in paragraph two of side letter three? Regardless of carrier terminology, all employees working in rotating pool and extra board service, including combination yard extra boards, whether or not they have voluntary or mandatory rest days or assigned days off are considered unassigned for purposes of side letter three. Let me bring up side letter three here for everyone. Um, Where'd it go? That's the TA. I know I have it here somewhere. Nope, that's not it. Um, so there we go. TA might help if I actually go down and find the right one, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, let me do this here. So those are article pulls. It's number one, number two, number three. Okay, here we go. So side letter three is talking about the three medical occurrences. And it states that employees in unassigned service, including employees who obtain days off under Article 5 of this agreement, will be allowed unpaid scheduled days off that are necessary to attend up to three uh, routine preventive medical care visits per calendar year without being assessed any form of disciplinary points, blah, blah, blah. So this is saying, because people are saying, it's like, well, if I'm on booked rest, I'm considered a science service. Yep. This is saying, regardless of carrier terminology, all employees working in rotating pool and extra board service, including combo, yard, road extra boards, whether or not you have voluntary or mandatory rest days or assigned days off are considered assigned unassigned for purposes of side letter three. Yep. That is a big one. So, and here's another big one. If the visit is initially scheduled and approved as described in solid letter number three, does carry have discretion to withdraw their approval at a later date? No. So once it's approved, it's approved. It's e your appointment is either canceled by you or the doctor, but the yep. layoff is approved. They can't rescind it. That's a big one. I know a lot of people had questions about that one. So it magically disappears out of the system. Like yeah. Some people's vacations do. Yeah. So here's another big one. If the visit is canceled or rescheduled by the employee's provider after the employee marks off to attend a visit, will the employee be subject to any form of disciplinary points, demerits, or citations under the carrier's attendance policies? No. However, you may, uh, 
carrier may require documentation verifying the visit was scheduled as reported by the employee, then canceled by the provider after employee has marked off. I kind of expected something like that, if we're just being totally honest. So, yeah. I mean, I really did. That, that kind of goes back to the earlier question I asked. Is that still going to count as one of your occurrences? Well, according to the answer up above, if it's canceled and you mark up and protect your assignment, then you're good. Yeah. However, the layoff is already applied. So if you go ahead and take it anyways, well, then it will count as one. But if you mark back up, provide the documentation and protect your assignment, it won't. That's my take on it. Based on the other ones up above. So. question is, will it be their take on it? Yeah. So this one's talking about, you know, are you going to be allowed unpaid time off for follow-up visits? Um, and it's just saying here for follow-up visit, you can request to use one of your three visits for routine preventive medical care as outlined as uh, SL3. Um, so this one right here at 24 required markup after a routine preventive visit. It says it'll be determined by the provisions on the on property agreement governing markup and mark off rules. I see this being as look, and this is my guess, at least for my carrier, is they're gonna approve the layoffs in 24 hour sections like they already yep. kind of do. And so you're laid off for those 24 hours. You do it with a choice, with a choice of marking up if you want. I can, I kind of guess that's how that that's going to go. So what do you think on that? Um, well, I've been marked off for COVID before and they told me that they were going to put me back on the board on Friday and, they didn't end up putting me back on the board until Saturday at like midnight. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was a little surprised at that. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I thought I was going to be going to work today. Eh, guess yeah. not. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, I, hell, I don't know. And that was but, where, like I said, that's my know, guess. Medical released you or released yeah. me. And then they just threw me on the bump board. It's like, okay. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my guess on it mm-hmm. is, you know, you'll either be placed or, hey, you're approved these X amount of layoff days. There you go. Kind of my take on it, but I've been wrong before, man. All right, here's another big one. Is there a cap on, is there a cap on the number of hospital admissions and surgeries covered by the fourth paragraph of side layer three? No. So, you know, which is which is good to have clarification on that. I mean, like, Hey, look, dude, you've had four surgeries this year. You're done. You know, they can't put a cap on it. No, just make sure you get your MLOA or whatever your carrier calls it. See, these are the answers I like straight. Yes. Or straight. Nope. Yeah. There's no, there's no may or exactly, you know, at the carrier's discretion or, you know, at the employee's discretion, there's there's no gray. It's either black or white. Yeah. So here's a good one. Will the routine, will the visits described in side letter three be available to employees in assigned service if their off days don't provide the opportunity to schedule appointments 
on either assigned off days for routine and preventative medical care visits. See, I don't like this part because you know as well as I do, not all scheduled jobs are Monday through Friday. Um, no. Not everybody has the same set days off. You no, know. in fact, they're all very intentional. Yeah, so, you know, it's not very... This is what I don't like about it is because these guys that have the high seniority and want to have the Friday and Saturday off or the Saturday, Sunday, you know, don't have access to something similar for the yard guys or the locals or the road switchers. Yep. You know, I don't, I don't know, man. Well, and it kind of, it kind of, contradicts what the earlier things said mm-hmm. we were all considered unassigned for the for the purposes of side letter three so which one is it well it's not really a contradiction because they're actually talking that you know th- this is for people that don't have set days off but if you hold a job that has set days off then you don't get these things which i think yeah. is kind of screwballed so yeah why would why would they want to vote you know if, yeah. if this isn't going to affect them you know yeah so yeah you know the carrier oh i think the three medical occurrences would be a lot more impactful if we're able to cover everybody but i don't i don't think that was a union thing i think that was a carrier thing they they weren't going to let that happen because now we've already dipped our toe into their attendance policies and so they're they're just gonna they're gonna give just enough is what that bargaining coalition for the carriers was gonna do. So, um, well, emergency dental or vision pr- procedures qualifies absences relating to hospital admissions and surgeries. Yes, it will qualify under side letter three as long as they require hospital admission and or surgery. I mean that just plays into what was stated above. Yep. So let's go on down here. And like I said, guys, we're covering some of these. There's so many questions. Some of them are just legal ones. I'm trying to pick out the big ones here. Um, so this, uh, this question 29 here is literally covering in more detail what we covered up there where it says, regardless of carrier terminology, if you don't have scheduled set days off and you're on an extra board or rotating combo board, um, for the purposes of side letter three, you will have access to those, those medical occurrence days or events. So, uh, question 30. Uh, so this is going into more specific thing. Like I was talking about earlier, you know, if Mark's off sick and then admit to the hospital, as long as you're admitted to the hospital and or have surgery, um, you you can't be docked or have attendance guidelines and policies applied to you in a negative way. So can previous Markoffs be removed from employees' records uh, retroactively? Um, that was a good question, but it also was kind of a common sense thing. This is something that's never been put before in a national contract, um, that has covered 
medical days off. I don't want to use sick days, but medical days off with attendance policies, this is not going to be retroactive. Yeah, that, that's kind of a common sense thing to me. Like that, that would yeah. never happen ever. So, um, so here we go. Last one in this section are all training ninja service employees covered under the provisions of side layer three relating to approved medical leaves of absence and absences related to hospital admissions and surgeries. Again, yes. Admit to the hospital or have a surgery, it applies to you. So it, this one right here doesn't matter if you're yard. Uh, if you are trained in engine service employees, you're covered by the provisions of Layer 3 regarding to attendance policies with hospital admissions and surgeries. It's a straight-up yes. So that's a good thing. We are going to play catch up here on our chat, man. These guys have been oh, yeah. uh, fairly chatty, which I absolutely love. I love seeing you guys over here chatting. It is a good deal. So if you guys got any questions before we move on, we only got a few sections left here and finish our uh, breakdown of that. We're about at the halfway mark. This last little section is going to go through pretty quick. And then I'll get everything broken down into, uh, I'm going to break these videos up into individual sections, health and welfare, wages, et cetera, like that. We're already up in an hour and a half. But once we get this out of the way, we can sit down and have some uh, podcast fire chat discussions and call it a done deal and get back to having some fun versus all the lingo mumbo jumbo so yep. we're going to move on to the next round right here which is all right personal leave so everybody knows we got the one pld day and the ability to use it on our birthday I know that means something to a lot of people, but I don't give a flying crap about my birthday. It's just another day. I like the fact that we get to choose. Yeah, having the choice is nice. Vacation day. You can use it as vacation day. If you want to bank it, you can have it set as a PLD day. Dude, I know a guy up north in Lincoln. He loves his birthday so much because he does the same thing every year. Big ass bowling party. There you go. Like he schedules it a year in advance. That's his thing. He loves his birthday. Me, I don't give a flying crap. You know, but he loves his birthday. And I'm sure there's some people that absolutely love this one. And I'm glad they got it. Uh, but this yep. was this wasn't on my on my wish list, but <laughs> Sometimes no, a win's a win, man. Either. Sometimes a win's a win. You know, no matter how small, it's still a win. Well, it's it's a great win for those who have uh, birthdays on holidays. Yeah, exactly. And I see that being utilized quite a bit. Unfortunately, my birthday falls on Abe Lincoln's birthday, which is not a nationally recognized holiday. So here we go. If the employee elects to use their payday off on their birthday, can it be denied if the employee's birthday falls on a recognized holiday? 
nope. Enjoy your holidays, guys. So, um, they talk about this, you know, more in depth about uh, using paid Lee Dave on their birthday. Essentially, as long as the holiday rules are um, are adhered to, and no rules are broken, uh, employees birthday used on a holiday will be allowed. So, um, they're covering that. I didn't really cover a whole lot, um, in this section because a lot of it is still, we're all familiar with how PLD days go, how they get denied when they can be removed and things like that. This, this is a lot of just coverage of how PLD days already work. Would you agree or do you see yeah. something in here? No. You know, so a PLD day is still a PLD day. Uh, the biggest part of it was, though, this section up here in the first set questions. Let me get up here. Regarding the uh, when they can use it, how it'll be paid, you know, how... Yeah, you know that it can't PLD or vacation. Mm -hmm. Question five is a good one. Question five. Let's see here. Can the carrier force an employee use an additional paid day off when absent due to FMLA? That is a good question. Um, and the answer to that is our favorite answer is no. Yep, that's a good one. All right, so that's what covers that. Unless you guys have anything else because we're this next part is going to fly and then we'll have a little bit of a chat and we'll call that a done deal for today let's see let's see here i do my birthday is christmas kelly nice way to go man way to all win. the all <laughs> those years of having your birthday and christmas wrapped in one will finally <laughs> pay off Oh, I bet people are going to be offering him a lot of money to trade birthdays for a little <laughs> while. If there is a way for him to do it, that guy could end up being filthy freaking rich, man. Oh, I know, right? So we're going to go to the next section right here. And two little combo points here, or little intros. But guys, y'all are not going to like these next two sections because there's not a whole lot of answers. <laughs> Well, I screwed wow. up. Yeah, I screwed up part of that what production. <laughs> I didn't. Apparently, all those slides didn't render the way they were supposed to. I'm going to have to go and fix that because, yeah, apparently, show it's us. A process. Yep. Show us your talent. Yeah. Oh, I messed dear. that one up. I messed that one up. Good. So, I really, really like question number one regarding the schedules, scheduled days off. Because a lot of people have been telling me, oh, we're only going to get four and one, four and two, five and mm -hmm. five and two, six and three. Whereas the uh, UP guys at BLET fired up that palette of that palette of eleven and four, which I really, really like. May a GC committee uh, 
general committee's proposal include multiple versions of voluntary assigned days off rather than a single system. Uh, a example, a proposal that gives employees in unassigned pool service the choice between 6 and 3, 11 and 4, 4 and 1, and or a 6 and 2 work rest cycle versus a pro- proposal that gives them only 5 and 2, only. I like this because, guys, the proposal is up to the GCs and us of what gets shot up there. And it says they may serve, serve notice notices proposing such agreements, which would then be subject to the on-property bargaining ratification and or binding arbitration provisions in Article 5, except as limited by side letter 5. That means, guys, they they can come up with whatever they want to do. Me, personally, I'd love to see 11 and 4. I, would. I just want choice. I want, I want choice, choice, but... To be able to take whether, you know... Maybe yeah. I don't want to take voluntary days off, so leave me at the unassigned point schedule. Or maybe I do want to take it. Just give everyone their choice. This whole, yeah. you know, forcing it down their throats is what really makes people angry. Well, and that's where I think we're going to get screwed is I think something, some one way or another is going to get forced down our throats. I just want to make sure we got a big enough foot in the door that we have a say in it so it can be somewhat uh, yeah. tolerable. I'll say this. When I was up in Galesburg and Lincoln, having booked rest, like the five and two, the six and three or whatever, um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, but I, you know, I enjoyed it most when I was getting deadheaded all the time, like from Chicago all the time. And so, you know, I never could accumulate any starts except when I was on booked rest, I still, I I could run my ass off and I could choose where I wanted to take rest. I loved it. I would love to have an option like that. I didn't. I didn't like using the book dress. I liked the option of being able to opt out and at the time, of course, use our now sorely missed five and two. Well, and see, that's the thing is I like the option of booked rest because either, you know, if I'm deadheading from Chicago and everything back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, can't accumulate starts. Well, then I can finally pull the trigger and rest. But, you know, if I'm just turning and burning and not catching deadheads, you know, I'd run it all the way up to sick, you know, smart rest or something like that and just work my tail off, you know, well, so. Maybe if the carriers hadn't perverted RISA to make it to where, you know, deadheads reset you, this wouldn't even be an issue. And that's but the nail on the head right there. dangle it is part of, oh, yeah. you know, the, they dangle it as part of booked rest is crap. Yeah. So a lot of people have asked this one right here. And I think it's important for people to know if parties are unable to reach a ratified agreement on assigned days off within 160 days slash six months of the initial union notice, may the parties extend that 180-day period by mutual agreement. Yes, they can, uh, with the understanding that beyond the initial 180-day period, either party may declare an impasse and invoke arbitration provisions, which means it sends it to binding arbitration. I would hope it doesn't take six months to hammer this shit out. I really hope so. We need a finality. Oh, I see that. I see that happening a lot, especially when, you know, 
Yeah. Unfortunately, I can see some impasses. Grab our ankles, and we're going to be like, no. Well, I can see a bunch of impasses happening, but I hope it doesn't come to that. Hopefully, agreements can be made, things can be ratified, and we can move on about our way and put a bunch of this crap behind us. But not in the way of what you're just saying of just getting screwed. Yeah. So, Um, you know, I hope it's not that way either. Yeah. But it wouldn't surprise me if it went that way. So this is an important one right here is uh, after implementation of voluntary Sundays off agreement, may either party serve additional notices pursuant to Article 5? No, except by mutual agreement, which is nice because then they can't just keep stacking up notices on, on these topics. Which, well, this particular this particular one is, you know, Article Five. That's for the that's for the scheduled days off. So mm-hmm. make sure you have your ducks in a row with whatever whatever you know book options you want because once it's done, it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 So. Let's continue on here. We are almost there, guys. Thanks for hanging with us. I know a bunch of you guys have uh, stayed around for a long time and been at this almost two hours. We're going to try to close this up here pretty soon. So so here we go. We'll do this one right here as well. Will unions be permitted to serve notice on carry of its desire to establish rules for voluntary assigned days off for extra boards, including combo road yard extra boards, if applicable, covering through freight road service? Yes. So. I heard they used to have assigned days off on the extra boards back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So I, was ta- I, don't know I was talking to a GC. Look, I was talking to a BLEGC and. He said they were on the 11-4, I think back in 93 or 96, and people loved it. And then that was also the days back when extra boards typically had assigned days off, and people loved it, but those all disappeared because carriers got tired of paying board guarantees, and so then they started not being able to cover trains and assignments. So here's where we get to this standard response, guys. And I'm just going to scroll through here because there's a lot of them starting from here all the way down into the next part. We're not going to get answers to a lot of these because each policy or program is going to be different for every carrier. And And it's going to be different at different locations with each carrier. Like something that works in my big terminal of Amarillo may not work in Edgemont, South Dakota you know, where it's a simple one directional run, you know, with very small extra board and one pull turn, you know, pull board, you know, so a bunch of these things are going to have to be um, negotiated on property locally and per carrier. So, uh, and this is where it starts. Question five, you know, on property, question six on property. You know, uh, does Article 5 apply to extra boards? It applies to all through freight road service, including extra boards that protect through freight road service. Um, Again, you know, question eight, 
you know, the GCAs um, may serve notice, but, you know, location-specific proposals in the notice. So let's see here. Um, here we go. Here's an important one right here. Where agreements are reached pursuant to Article 5, will observing voluntary rest days be mandatory or optional? Um, where voluntary rest days are included in an agreement reached under Article 5, observing these rest days will be subject to the terms of the applicable agreement to the extent the agreement results from interest arbitration. The parties agree that Article 5 does not permit the arbiter to impose mandatory days off. So the short answer is no. They, the arbiter, arbitrator, and uh, carriers cannot impose mandatory days off. And that, that's the way good, I take it. You've got guys out there on the extra board. All they want to do is work, 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 and good yeah. for them. All the power to them. You know, a lot yep. of these, a lot of people that I've talked to just want choice. Mm -hmm. you know? They want the choice of being able to, you know, take voluntary days off. Yeah. Or not. Yep. Yep. And that's where a lot of people want quality of life issues is having a choice. Yep. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's not, not the massive gross wage increase, you know, and it's not all ABS. It's not all self-supporting pools. The whole thing is having a choice and the ability to make choices that's best for them. For the vast majority of employees. Granted, there are employees out there cheating and loopholing the system, screwing it up for a lot of other people. But the vast majority of people just want choice and ability. It really does come down to that simple answer. And it's not the illusion of choice. It's the actual The choice. actual choice. You know, I mean, give people some quality of life and treat them like human beings. And they'll go to the ends of the earth to bust your bust their ass for your company. But that would require treating us like actual human beings, though. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Nope. But I want to say that hopefully some uh, growing pains will come out of all this and we'll see something different. I mean, look what I happened to so Jim too. Foote. He's uh, he's probably sucking on a margarita somewhere. Or on a golf course. I don't know what the hell that guy does. Maybe he's throwing another hissy fit crying about the STB. Who knows? So, last question. Will sign days off begin and end at the same time? Again, subject to on-property bargaining. So, we're right down here, guys. ABS and scheduling. Guys, this thing is uh, our last section. ABS and pool. All right, so let's go ahead and knock this sucker out there, Q. All righty, yeah, you uh, you lagged there real quick, but it looks like I got you back. Yeah, well, I've been pushing this thing to the limit, and I'm sure it's tired of jacking with me. So, um, again, the carriers did win the recommendation in PB 250 to serve us notice of ABS and self-supporting pools. This is the topics that we're getting into. And same rules as before, 
based on side letters, things like that. Um, this one here no, is talking. don't like it. Yeah. But this question one right here and the answer is just saying that there's nothing preventing us from bargaining over additional work rules when talking about the ABS. That's essentially Unless what Unless there's a mutual agreement to yep. do so. Exactly. So, um, so this is an important one. This is important. After an implementation of automatic bid scheduling agreement, may the carrier serve additional notices pursuant to Article 6. Nope, unless it's automatically mutually agreed upon. Now, this one right here, question three, everything involves around 180-day uh, bargaining period, which can be extended upon mutual agreement um, yep. or declare an impasse. That's the same thing as above. So um, a lot of these questions here, like number four, again, these things are going to be bargained on and talked about and decided on in uh, binding arbitration and negotiation. And a lot of people don't like that. Nope. A lot of people don't like it. Like, I, you know, if they're doing 1201-1159, why not just go ahead and do 0759 like UP did? I mean, that's a pretty good time right there, I yep. think. But what do I know? Or 729 and 0730. Yeah. So, again, you know, a lot of these are good questions, like, you know, getting notifications and things like that. These are all going to be uh, determined um, by existing on-property agreements and negotiations through all this because every carrier and system and property is going to be different. Um, so... We're, this is where we're going to be seeing a lot of this. Same, exact same answer. You know, yep. upon returning block vacation, again, determined by provisions existing on property agreements and, uh, and the negotiations. Um, so I'm not going to read over a whole bunch of these questions because it is the same thing determined by on property agreement determined by on property agreement. Um, however, we have a pretty straight and forward one. Is right here. Is the intent of Article 6 to eliminate extra boards? No. That could use some more definition. Like, you will know, this there, eliminate the extra boards? where, you know, terrible things happened that began with the best intentions. Yeah. Well, I don't like that word intent. Yeah. Is the intent of Article 6 to eliminate the extra boards? No. Is it going to happen? Probably. Could be. Yeah. Wouldn't put it past them. Needed, needed more. That I think that was an intentionally vague answer. Oh, yeah. So. Well, that was a question. Why was the question so vague? It's yeah. the intent. It, I don't care about intent. Yeah. I want to know what's actually going to come of it. Is exactly. it allowed, yes or no? Intent does me no good. Exactly. Exactly. So this one right here is basically saying, you know, if your award in place on a new assignment with scheduled start time and you're observing federal mandated arrest, you know, the answer to this is observing RISA and federally mandated arrest rules and obligations 
are still going to be adhered to. However, how that's going to be handled and when you go on duty is all up to negotiations of on-property agreements. Again, on-property agreements for 13. Um, if a carrier serves notice to the union under Article 6, it would be served on on-property basis or system-wide basis. Well, we're going to leave this up to the choice, uh, the choice of the carriers. So, again, um, this is a good one. Does Article 6 give the carrier the right to implement the IMAC bid scheduling on any trial test basis, or this, must this be negotiated? It must be negotiated, ratified, or arbitrated in accordance with the provisions of Article 6, except as limited by side letter 5, unless the parties mutually agree otherwise. So that is the one important thing mm -hmm. out of all this article five, six, and seven. None yeah. of this is just going to be, they'll try to splatter it on us, but everything's got to be negotiated. Yeah. It's got to be negotiated on rest days, the mm -hmm. ABS, and the whole self relieving pools and all that jazz has yeah. to be negotiated or at least go through the six months and then it might get shut down. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, here we go again with the, the pools and extra boards down here. Um, a lot of mutual agreements and things like that regarding the pools, mostly how it's going to be implemented, negotiated on and things like that. Um, they did mention it a little bit. I think it was in what side letter five or seven mm -hmm. or one of the two. They did list what carriers might be looking to do what things, but it's, you know, it's hard yeah. to get people to vote on something, say yes to something where we don't really know what it's going to look like. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what's going to look like or how it's actually going to operate. So it's kind of hard to vote on it. Yep. So, all right. So let's go ahead and finish this sucker up. Pools and extra boards. Yep. So, um, a lot of this is going to be, I would encourage people to read through it because it's a lot of just going through here and, um, you know, again, mutual agreement, um, you know, on property handling, that kind of thing. So let's see here. There was, one in here I really wanted to look at. So this one's saying, uh, you know, if it's mutually agreed upon on number one, um, can they serve notice on other work rules? Um, according to side layer five, they can do that as long as it's uh, uh, mutually agreed upon. Mutually agreed upon. And it's in connection with the implementation of changes to the pools or extra boards. Like it has to be connected. Uh, they can't just randomly throw something else in there that really doesn't have anything to do with it and say, we need a bargain on this and try to slip one under the door. Uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, here is a good one right here. This is one of the ones I wanted to point out. Where a self-supporting pool is implemented pursuant to Article 7, will employees on those assignments be expected to protect assignments outside of that self-supporting pool? No, except in normal course <laughs> of vacancy. <laughs> yeah. Vacancy procedures running slash running call decisions as authorized by existing agreements or by mutual agreement. <clears throat> Lincoln. A lot. 
So, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I literally watched a engineer get into it with this brand new Choo Choo U train master with, because he asked why this engineer was so upset. He's like, well, I got called off this legacy pool to come protect this one when there's guys on the extra board or the UTF pool. He's like, that doesn't happen. He's like, yeah, it does. And this train master just is like, well, that that's just the way it goes. Like, no, the whole point of that pull system was that they don't get called off turn like that. And uh, unless, uh, unless the UTF is exhausted, and then you know, yeah, which at that day it wasn't. And then we also had people on the extra board, and you know, it's it, it was just ridiculous. So I'm glad that one's in there. So after well, but what what's in the normal course of vacancy procedures, running calling decisions as mm-hmm. authorized by existing agreements? Well, the, the existing agreement said that couldn't happen, and yet it did. Yeah. So where's our protection that that's not going to happen? Yeah. So, you know, it's, I mean, that, that protection needs to happen. And I think it's going to need to be clarified on a lot because these are going to be served notices. So hopefully the GCs get in there and get more definition on those things right there. And if there is, you know, if it does happen, the claim that's associated with that needs to be irrefutable. Like you don't get to say, oh no, we're not going to pay. It should be an automatic payment. So, so, you know, like three here, may they serve additional notices pursuant to Article 7? Nope, not unless mutually agreed upon. Again, the arbitration process, 180 days, we're not going to go over that. Um, the only nice part about that is once it goes through arbitration, it's done. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's a double-edged sword, obviously, which is, A, why we need to have all our ducks in a row. It's the same as the scheduled days off. But, you know, the carrier can't, the carriers can't go, okay, well, we're going to do this. Well, if it gets shot down, they can't keep coming back and saying, oh, we're going to do this instead. No, once it's done, it's done. Yeah. Yep. So um, we're going to go on down here, and really the rest of these is talking about Article 7C1B. Um, you know, these are very policy slash carrier and property specific questions, which can't be answered yet because the systems haven't been served notice and made public to anyone. Um, and so... Real hard to vote yes for something. You don't know how it's going to work out. Exactly. And so like down here, answer seven, you know, all these are going to be on property provisions, agreements, and negotiations. So if you have any, uh, any of these questions right here, go ahead and read through the Q and a, this is the last page 21, whereas really our most straightforward question we got again, on the intent question is the intent of article seven to create multi-directional pools. No, I'm not about to vote for something that's going to undo our super pool victories and superior and Spokane. It's not going to happen. 
yeah. don't even work at a multi I don't even work at a multi-directional pull terminal. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean we got a lot of questions and a lot of negotiations to get done after this happens, either by voting yes or voting no, whatever happens after that. So yep. well guys, Mr. Q, thanks for hanging around. We're uh hey, thanks two- for having me. Hopefully it wasn't too long winded. No, we're just uh, two hours in, and this was a long topic that needed to be covered, and we did. So, guys, we are going to call it a day right here. We covered a lot of information. I'll break these things up over more specific questions over the next couple of days, make it easier for everybody to get to. I appreciate everybody's heads up and sticking to it and their participation Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button, and we're going to get back to doing some fun podcast and getting a bunch of us together, just kind of shoot the shoot the topics and talk about topics and things like that, and just have a good time and have a good old podcast here because this is a uh, podcast for railroaders by railroaders doing railroad shit. So you guys have a good one. Mr. Q, thanks again for uh, being our first co-host podcast live stream. And uh, anything you want to say to the boys and girls? No, I appreciate being on. And for the love of everything you may hold holy or unholy, vote. Yes. You're voting. Yep. We don't this care. needs to have record turnout numbers. Exactly. We don't care don't, don't what you hope vote. That the masses carry carry one way or the other. Yeah. Once you get that ballot, don't sit on it. Get your pen out, or you know, dial up your phone. <laughs> I don't. I don't quite know how it works because you. We do. We vote over the phone or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. The instructions are on the way or something like that. Yeah. So don't put it off until the last moment. Yep. When you guys get it, you know. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have an idea how they're going to vote. You know, hopefully, you know, this podcast and other things will help, you know, may have helped clarify questions you had, but, you know, Mm -hmm. make sure you get as much information as you can. Make sure it's the right information and vote. Absolutely. Well, you guys have a good one. We'll see you on the next one. We'll try to get another one of these fired up here before too long. You guys have a good day.